Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to continue our dive into the investigators that have been released so far, class by class. For our fourth episode in this series, we're going to be talking about the Mystics of Arkham. Yes, that's right. We are barely managing to sneak this in before additional Mystics are released, and this episode would become uh, too long to be realistic. (laughs) Dexter's definitely already out. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't have the book. You know, yeah, I, I, I haven't received no book. I thought nobody had it yet. Nobody in the United States has it. But oh, really? well, there okay. you go. There you go. I, <laughs> I, I rest my case. The investigators that have been released in the U.S. Not because we're prejudiced, just because yeah. we don't have them. This is inconsistent with the last episode we did, though, where we talked about Weaver, which hasn't been released in the U.S. Well, thank you for pointing that out. Uh <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Right. It's, today, it's fine. You, today, you can edit it out so nobody knows our uh, hypocrisy or whatever. <laughs> today, today we're going to talk all about our magical friends and the kind of magical stuff that they get up to, uh, what with uh, magic and also uh, mystery and sometimes just weird stuff. Like some of these people are into weird stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Weird right? stuff is great. Yeah. What do you guys think about mystics? You guys like mystics? Dane hates mystics, but... Uh, I I like Mystics. I like them. So I hated Mystics until I decided to play Diana once, and now I really enjoy Diana. We'll get into that. Yeah, you, you had a problem with the initial couple of Mystics being like too good. That that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I think Mystics <laughs> as a whole have come a long way since since the core set too. So I'm excited to talk about them. I mean, they started very good. <laughs> well, speaking of us, uh, speaking of the core set, and speaking of starting really good, let's uh, let's talk about the first Mystic that was released back in the core set. Agnes Baker, the waitress. So Agnes has uh, five willpower, which, as we're going to see, is kind of the key stat for Mystics most of the time. She has two intellect in combat and three agility. Her special ability is that once per phase, when she takes a horror, or when a horror is placed on her specifically, not on one of her assets, she gets to do a damage to an enemy at her location. And for deck building, she gets all Mystic cards and then survivor cards up to level two, which is cool. And her unique card is the Heirloom of Hyperborea, which is an accessory that lets her draw a card when she plays a spell. And her unique weakness is called Dark Memory. It's an event which, if she casts it, adds a doom to the agenda, which is really bad. But if she holds it in hand and doesn't cast it, then she takes two horror every turn until she casts it. So that's kind of that's kind of what Agnes is all about. Yeah, no, Agnes is one of one of my favorite characters. Have you guys actually played Agnes much at all? I know I've I've played her a lot. I have. Yeah, I played her when when not when not playing with you because usually <laughs> this is one of the ones you get dibs on. I guess I, I play I play other characters a lot. Yeah, you know. I, I enjoy Agnes. She's she's fun. She's very strong. I think what really what really makes Agnes very powerful is specifically the fact that there are cultist enemies in this game that you need to kill really fast that have one health. Right, like being able to just if you can if you have some way to take a horror on command and you can just ping stuff for one damage. I mean, you can use it to kill something with, like, three health. You can, like, shrivel and ping it. That's great. But just being able to, like, instantly kill small enemies is really, really powerful. So I think that alone would make Agnes really good. Her five will is also great. And in addition to that, having level two survivor is also pretty cool, right? So there's really... I think Agnes has a lot going for her. Yeah, uh, she's a, a little bit more dependent on... I guess all the mystics are kind of very dependent on drawing the cards they need. Uh, they can't, uh, she can't really do much without spells to be able to make use of her willpower. So she'll struggle to fight or investigate if she hasn't, if she gets a bad opening hand or if she hasn't drawn the right cards or whatever. That is true. Although I, I think that a, a strength that we're going to talk about for a lot of these mystics is because they generally have high willpower, even they're very resilient to mythos phase. They're very resilient to encounter cards that they're going to draw. That's right. We should mention that uh, when we've been doing this series for each investigator, we, we, we try to answer five questions. What is their greatest strength? What is their greatest flaw? What kind of role can they play in a group or on their own? What are some of their favorite cards? And what movie would they star in? So uh, we kind of already talked a little bit about Agnes's strengths. Um, in terms of Agnes's greatest weakness, what what would be like a, a big flaw for Agnes, do you guys think? I mean, her weakness is really rough, right? That, that <laughs> uh, definitely is true, yeah. Adds a doom. 
to the agenda. Costs everyone a turn. Yeah, her weakness is pretty awful. Um, although, I mean, it depends on the scenario, obviously. If it's a scenario you have a little bit more time, then it's like, whatever. And uh, you can utilize her weakness to uh, get horror on demand to ping things. Yeah. That's that's kind of the thing. That's one reason I really like Agnes is it feels like she's a little bit difficult to play, but in a fun way because you kind of have to use her horror as a resource. And it is, it, like Ben said, it, it's cool how her weakness can sometimes sort of be helpful because you can use it to trigger her ability. It also, if you happen to play Heirloom of Hyperborea, which I usually don't, uh, playing playing her weakness draws a card because it is a spell. But I think also, you know, if you draw it fairly late in the game, it's really kind of fine because maybe you just take horror for a few turns. You know, sometimes you draw it relatively late and you end up just like tanking the horror for a while, especially if you have a card like Peter Sylvester or Clarity of Mind. But yeah, it, it can be really bad if you just draw it right, right away and you say, I probably can't take the horror all game. I probably have to just add a Doom. But you could always play like Fortune or Fate or something to kind of cancel it out if you really wanted to. Yeah, I think the survivor side of her makes up for some of her weaknesses. Like one of her weaknesses is that like any mystic, I think generally in the mystic class, they take a while to set up because they want to get their spells out. And it, all their stuff usually costs a lot of a lot of resources to get out. So for Agnes, she makes up with that by having Survivor class kind of pick her up in the beginning. Um, she can lean on things that maybe like she can fail into, like look what I found and take heart, and then eventually she can get her her Mystic kit online. But I also think that Agnes doesn't necessarily need as much setup as other mystics necessarily, even though she could have the biggest rig or setup, so to speak, among them, just because she has that horror on demand. But I think that if she were to have any weakness, it would be that she takes sometimes a long time to set up. Yeah, I think that's that's fair, and I think that is more or less true of a lot of the mystics that we'll talk about. In terms of the roles that she can play, um, so again, pretty what we've seen is there's kind of like a somewhat standard mystic deck you can play, where you basically play like either Rite of Seeking or Sixth Sense, and you play Shriveling and like Storm of Spirits and stuff, and you have kind of a variety of things that let you fight and get clues using your will. You could also play like Mists of Rilia and Blinding Light if you want to evade stuff. So... In that sense, I think mystics usually kind of lend themselves to kind of a hybrid-y kind of build, where they can do a little bit of everything, and they just use their willpower for all of it. Agnes can certainly do that. I think she can also go a little bit further down the combat road than some of these other investigators can because of her pinging ability. It makes sense to maybe, if you're in like a four-player group, maybe you could go more in that direction. But I think you I think you have a lot of options for Agnes when it ter- comes to what role she can play. I agree she leans more towards Monster Handler, both for doing damage and also because um, she, she loves to get uh, Peter Sylvester as an ally, which boosts her agility as well, so she actually can be reasonable evader as well, if, if that yeah. is better than fighting. Because she starts with three, so she's yeah. already part part way there. So like I think I usually lean towards Monster Handler with like Rite of Seeking or Sixth Sense or something as a you know, if there's no monsters to fight. And is she maybe a decent solo character? Because her weakness, like, I feel like her weakness might not be as bad in solo. She's actually a very good solo character. Yeah, uh, I did all right with her when I played her solo recently. And the survivor cards probably help with that. Exactly, yeah. survivor yeah. helps. I mean, her weakness is still bad in solo. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> actions are, are a little bit more valuable in solo because of how, how scenarios are tuned. It's usually a little bit less time. Mm. But yeah, being able to evade stuff uh, and having like a lot of powerful one-off events can be good. Yeah. Uh, for Agnes's favorite cards, the one that immediately comes to mind is forbidden knowledge, which lets her, uh, take a horror to gain a resource. And obviously taking the horror is something that you kind of want to be able to do on command so that you can deal damage to stuff. So that's a really, basically every Agnes deck, I think should probably play that card. And then Peter, maybe, we already mentioned, yeah, Peter Sylvester, definitely. And then maybe, maybe even things like upgraded clarity of mind, if you really want to be able to use her ability a lot, um, could, could be good. Any, any other really good Agnes cards? Yeah, anything that heals horror, like like Fearless level 2 would be pretty good to put in. Um, it gives her everything she wants. Or lets you take horror at will. Yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, things like Water Protection. Water Protection making her take horror during the Mythos phase, which is kind of rare, um, if there's not a skill. Also also a card that all these Mystics are probably going to play anyway. Yeah, she's one of the few people that can actually play like a full suite of like four wards if she needed to. Because she's got both... Test of Will and Wards and Fortune of Fate if she really wanted to. But she's got a lot of ways that you can build her. I know that some people really like building her with the Fire Axe and everything too. So 
Crazy Agnes, like Fire Axe, Meat Cleaver. Yeah, exactly. And she tries to fight with strength. Crazy Waitress. Yeah, maybe with Jessica Hyde. You can definitely do that. You can also do weird, uh, like, Bow Agnes with track shoes as well if you really want to. <laughs> if you if you really want to go nuts. So, cool. And then, uh, last question. What movie would she star in? I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be upfront about this. We had some trouble picking out movies for these uh, investigators here today. <laughs> Disclaimer. They, I, I would say that mystics maybe don't have the most personality compared to some of the other classes in most cases. Uh, or maybe maybe we're just not creative enough. I don't know. But um, so for Agnes, because her deal is that she's a waitress who s- starts having memories of her past lives, uh, we picked a pretty cool movie from Thailand called Uncle Boonmi Who Can Recall His Past Lives, which is about an old guy that sort of does some talking to ghosts and some karma stuff and uh, kind of thinks about what his past lives were like. And you know what? Agnes kind of does that. So there you go. Yeah. The only other option was Avatar The Last Airbender by Emma no. That's actually one of Dane's favorite movies. No, it's it's actually the worst movie on the it planet. It ties in with Agnes because there's something with his past lives in it, but it's also really horrifying because the movie is so so, so terrible. <laughs> I guess that much and, is true. And then you're left with a, a dark memory of uh, witnessing that movie. Perfect. We, we also briefly we also briefly discussed the Terminator <laughs> because it's uh, kind of about a waitress. So you know. that is true. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah. But I think about the the coolest movie and the most interesting and relevant to watch would be Uncle Boomy who can remember his past lives. Really good movie. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. So good. Good job, Agnes. On to the next investigator. The next investigator being Jim Culver. He's a musician. So Jim has a special relationship with skulls, skull tokens. So whenever he pulls a skull, he can treat the modifier on it as a zero, rather than whatever it scales to being. Um, and then anytime he can, he reveals a, an elder sign, he can treat it as, he can choose to treat it as a skull. So he has really high health and sanity. He can just normally take mystic cards and then neutral cards. And then he has a trumpet, which further boosts his his skull synergy whenever uh, skull is revealed at his location or another location he can heal somebody a horror so he's got one of the few constant horror heals in the game and his weakness is the most thematically fun weakness but also kind of scary it's called final rhapsody uh, you basically reveal five chaos tokens and for every skull or auto failed re- revealed you take a damage and a horror uh, which which could add up or sometimes it's it's zero when Jim came out, he was immediately one of my favorite favorite characters um, because he has a special interaction with the Chaos Bag. But as far as his strengths go, Jim has, again, the, the affinity with the Chaos Bag for getting skulls. So he can kind of tune himself to trying to get the highest chance of, of getting skulls. So if he, he wants to play like seal things or ways to make skulls more prevalent, he can. that's kind of a strength of his. He also has access to five level zero cards from any other class. So these are the Dunwich five cards that he can pick anything, which helps boost the ways that you can deck build with him in a lot of different fun ways. Um, and we'll talk about that as we come to more of his more preferred cards. Again, as a mystic, he can do a lot of different things. He can clue, uh, he can fight things. He has very reasonable stats for three, three, two. So he can kind of swap to doing what he needs to in a team. Yeah. I, I, on the topic of Jim's strengths, I almost think that uh, his main strength is that in particular for Carcosa, there are, there's three skulls in the chaos bag, right? Most other uh, most other campaigns, there's two, but Carcosa, you kind of get that extra skull token. Right. Dreamlands has three too, I think. Oh, Dreamlands has three? Or at least n- not to start, but like, I think you get skulls added as you play. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of my take. Like, I don't, I don't think that Jim is super strong in general, but I think that in particular campaigns and scenarios where there are three skulls or more somehow, I think that he is pretty strong. Yeah. We should have, we should have called him to consult with Colin who plays Jim in a different way every time we do a campaign with him. <laughs> he's the resident Jim expert. He likes to do lots of weird stuff with him. I feel like he's a scavenging somehow. And I, don't, <laughs> okay. I don't know how it works, but <laughs> that's not a strength. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> Then in that case, how about uh, weaknesses for Jim? Is is his weakness bad enough to be considered kind of like a real weakness? Yeah, so his weakness is kind of one of the weaknesses that can just kill you outright, kind of from out of nowhere. But there are some times where it just doesn't do anything. Hmm. So his weakness is pretty rough. 
But I would say in general, like his greatest weakness would just be the fact that he only has four will. He kind of has a limit to how far he can go into, you know, blasting things with with mystic cards without the upgrades that that allow extra will on them. So I think at first he's a little bit of a hard start, but once you get experience and you're able to pick up things that compensate for his l- relatively weak stats, he, he's able to pick up pick up his game and, and, you know, get on the level of everybody else. And because he can treat skulls as zeros, that often can bounce him out a little bit for having a lower willpower. Yeah, it will. It, it really depends how many skulls are in the bag, though, right? Because on average, I think that having one higher willpower or whatever the the stat that you're using, I suspect that on average that is going to like add more successes to the bag than skulls being zeros. But I mean, you know, there's definitely some situations where you can take advantage of it. Well, I mean, you can lean in, like looking at like cards that he likes. He can go for cards that like give him a higher chance of drawing a skull. Grotesque Statue is a basic one, but he can even do like weird stuff like Dark Prophecy or or Olive all McBride of McBride or, or something. Yeah, yeah, stuff that like increases his chance of either getting like a low modifier token or or a skull because those are basically zeros. So that can be a way that he can like kind of work around it, which kind of makes his uh, gameplay a little bit more interesting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As for what role he plays, I don't know if he leans one way or the other really, as much as like Agnes kind of leans towards combat. Uh, I think he kind of works as hybrid, or he can go hard in one way clues or in combat or even as a token sealer type build yeah we should also mention maybe that he does have three intellect which puts him in the range where potentially he could try to investigate that way so maybe he leans a little more towards getting clues but honestly these days with six cents i sort of feel like that's almost not super important because you can just use six cents and investigate with your willpower yeah he could also like fight with like enchanted blade or something if you wanted to yeah exactly uh, try to use his three strength He's got more options in using those stats compared to like Agnes, who like just like has to go hard willpower. Yeah, I think his his five off class cards really allow for him to go one way or the other. I know I've seen people play like him as more of just a cluer, and he can get like magnifying glasses if he really wants to go hard in, in intellect, or he can get things that are like like big one offs. Look what I found, or Intel report things that can find clues regardless, so he can go more cluey. Or there's also cards like Song of the Dead which tune him more towards combat, where it goes even further into his skull synergy. So what uh, what movie did you guys pick for him? Uh, I'm going to leave this one up to Dane. <laughs> so this is a movie that came out in 2001 called Monkey Bone. We <laughs> didn't really talk much about this selection, but I thought that... So Jim's whole thing is that he talks to the dead through playing spooky did jazz Did this movie because it has the word bone in it? No. <laughs> so what happens in this movie so so the main character played by uh brendan fraser oh no is a cartoonist who gets into a freak accident <laughs> and dies was... <laughs> okay so, so you're with me here he's dead and he goes into this really wacky crazy world that's like a bunch of claymation and a whole bunch of weird like carnival looking stuff and he has to find a way out of it and this creation that he made called monkey bone which has no relevance to anything whatsoever regarding jim culver anyway where he has to like wake up from from being dead and he talks to like skeletons along the way and it's just a really weird trippy movie about uh this guy who dies and then tries to come back from being dead it also has 19 percent on rotten tomatoes so do that do with that as you will well it does feature brendan fraser so that's it does this must have been a good movie because it was the start of chris Catan's uh long-lasting and really prestigious movie career <laughs> so listen he he was at one point locked in a jail cell with attila the hun jack the ripper and stephen king that sounds pretty great. I really want to watch this movie. I haven't seen it. Also, if we could go back to the beginning of this series and enforce the rule that we only pick Brendan Fraser movies for all these investigators, that's what I would <laughs> yeah. really want to do just because it drives Ben nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Much to Ben's chagrin. All right, why don't, we, why don't we move on to Akachi? <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. So uh, the third mystic is Akachi Anyele, the shaman. Uh, Akachi, like Agnes, has five will. She has uh, two intellect and agility and three combat. So her special uh, ability is pretty simple. When she plays an asset that has charges on it, she just gets an extra charge when it comes into play. Extremely good. It's pretty good. Uh, Her deck building is just all mystic cards, and then she also gets cards with uses charges up to level four and occult cards level zero. So there's not really a whole lot of stuff outside of purple that she can play, but there's like a couple things. And her, so her special asset is, it's kind of complicated. It basically lets you like 
bounce an asset with charges to her hand so you can play it again, something like that. And then also her weakness is a thing where basically it comes out, it sits in your threat area, you have to basically like give up charges on your things to put charges on this, and otherwise you take a physical trauma at the end of the scenario. To appease the angry spirits. Sure. So yeah, Akachi, uh, I think Akachi's pretty strong, as mentioned. So she's, you know, like Agnes, she's in the five willpower club, which is good. And uh, getting extra charges on stuff for free is pretty great, right? Because a lot of important, important mystic cards that we've talked about um, or maybe those that we haven't specifically talked about yet, but like Shriveling and Rite of Seeking, which are kind of like staple mystic cards, those have chargers on them, right? It's true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sure, <Right>. sure is. <laughs> so she also has a particularly strong stat line in that um, she has three strength, too. Two intellect isn't anything that matters in the game of a mystic because they use sub their will for a lot of things anyways. So like really the thing that she can do really well is she has the most potential to use like to get the maximum use out of spells possible even infinite with with spirit speaker you could argue yeah spell assets yeah yeah so i think that like ben was saying for jim since she has 3 combat she can use uh the enchanted blade also and get get good use out of that oh and that has charges on it too i think it does it does it does yeah so she she can it enters play with additional charge on it, and she can use that to even greater effect than most. So very fun. I think that her her strengths just come from the fact that she five will is so important. Five will is so good in so many different scenarios. I think that she's one of the few investigators who goes comfortably into the circle undone. <laughs> Spoilers for circle undone. There are a lot of will tests, <laughs> so she she can comfortably succeed at at some of them uh, with along with Agnes. Yeah, I, I kind of think of Akashi as being the kind of, like, good stuff mystic investigator, where, like, I like Agnes more, but Agnes is a little bit of a choice where you kind of, you take on Agnes's scarier weakness in exchange for getting the pinging ability, which you may or may not be able to use to good effect depending on what kind of enemies are in the campaign. Akashi is just kind of baseline, having an extra charge of stuff is always good. Exactly, yeah. More of a good thing. Yeah, out of all these investigators, Akashi is probably the one I recommend first to people that want to try mystic. I mean, there's, yeah. I know there's the upcoming Jacqueline who might be even simpler maybe, but, uh, like she's very straightforward in that, like, oh, she's plays spell assets. She gets extra charges out of them yeah, and that lets her investigate and fight. And it's great. Especially because Jacqueline, I think honestly has some fairly complicated math with some of her cards. Akachi, I think is very straightforward and yeah, that would be maybe a good first mystic to play. Yeah. On that note though, it's really hard to think of a flaw for Akachi. She has the kind of standard mystic flaws we've talked about where she has maybe a little bit more setup to do than other classes, as Dane mentioned earlier. Other than that, I can't really think of anything. Can you guys? I mean, her deck building is kind of limited. Yeah. Mystics have enough stuff to cover enough bases, though, that I feel like she's not really missing anything. I think that while Agnes can lean into Survivor for, like, ways to get money, and, and Jim can lean into the Dunwich 5 if he really needs to get some source of money or income or whatever, Akachi maybe struggles a little more because she can play, like, Emergency Cash and... Forbidden Knowledge? I can never remember the name of the card that lets you play a spell for three less... But I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's that's the one. The, the <laughs> yeah. one that's not fast. Even though I put it in every single Mystic deck, I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. Spirits yeah. awaken. No. <laughs> so, so she has she has some accessibility for things that make cards cheaper, uh, things that give you resources like emergency cash. But ultimately, she doesn't really have like a class specific thing that would be really good for her. I guess you could argue the um what's the alchemist one? Oh yeah, the the card that gives you money if you pass a big will test. It seems like it'll be good for her, but it's like not super efficient. A little clunky. Yeah, it's cool, it's just really hard to actually find a uh, arcane slot for it. Yeah, so it's a little tough. Her signature is also a way that helps her with money. You can pre-play spells, then if you don't end up using the charges, you can trash the spell to get the charges into money. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's that's a super minor thing. Yeah. I think that, generally speaking, Akachi's pretty fine on every on every front. Yeah. She's just kind of a solid investigator. In terms of roles that uh, she can play in a group or on her own, I think, as discussed, definitely the kind of standard mystic hybrid role, where she can do a little bit of everything. She can also, maybe because of that higher combat, and just because she gets more charges on shriveling and stuff, she could probably go more of, like, a combat-focused build as well. Has anyone tried solo Akachi? No, but I couldn't. I couldn't imagine it would be bad. I think it might be a little bit clunky, but I, I think it would probably be okay, maybe. I, I think one, one of the things with solo is if you don't get your cards in your opening hand, you're in big trouble because you can't really, you don't have a, a backup of like 
Uh, you deal with an enemy if it spawns, I'll draw cards this turn. You, like, you can't really afford to waste yeah. actions like that. So I think because she's dependent on spell assets a lot more, or she wants to be, it might make her a little bit harder to uh, pull off in solo. I think that what might really help her with that is the kind of like alternate shriveling and right of seeking ish cards that are coming out in the Jacqueline deck later this year, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Azure Flame and whatever. Because yeah, you can you can basically have like four shrivelings and four right of seekings in your deck once that is out. So that might help her be more consistent. Yeah, that's true. She's probably just generally stronger with a group though. I think that's true of most mystics. Some of her favorite cards, as we've discussed, uh, good assets that use charges, so certainly Shriveling, Rite of Seeking, and similar cards. Also, uh, Grotesque Statue uh, is pretty good for her. Yeah. Any Anything else? Like I, I think we usually we usually don't play things like Recharge and Enraptured with her because you it's kind of a it's kind of overkill. She already has enough charges, so you usually don't want to go for things like that. But I don't know any other good Akachi cards. No, I think I think what you said is true. She's she's really just mystic good stuff, but mostly focused towards assets. I mean, if she wants to evade stuff, suggestions very good for her. Do you mean Miss of No, I mean suggestion. No, it's a green spell. Is suggestion better? Yeah, it has like it has a bunch of charges on it. Uh, the upgraded one, she can expend the charges to avoid enemy attacks, and the charges only get used up if you don't succeed by two or more. It's it's lockpicks, but for evading. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So yep, she yep. like evades at a base of eight probably doesn't lose a charge and can just keep rolling with it. And then the, again, the upgraded one, she can use with the charges to cancel non-lead attacks, which is nice. That is cool. Yeah. I feel like there was at least one other card that I like. I mean, she can she can pick up like a cult lexicon that has charges on it, apparently. Oh, no, it's, it's a cult. And I think we talked about it last episode. She can use that, um, the blue bonded card, the empty vessel. Oh, yeah. A neat thing that she can play around with. But obviously that competes with Holy Rosary. All right movie this was controversial we kind of really ran hard up against the problem of these are all just kind of magic people that do magic stuff so we were looking for maybe a movie about a person that talks to ghosts because if you read the backstory on akachi's card she's from a village in nigeria and everyone thought she was crazy until it turned out that she was a shaman that could talk to ghosts and we already used the sixth sense on a previous investigator so we're kind of you know, about to use it again. <laughs> Is that an option by our own self-imposed rules? <laughs> Instead, we we searched our memories for some kind of movie about talking to ghosts, and uh, there's like a Pokemon-style thing in Japan called Yokai Watch, where it's basically like Pokemon but for Japanese ghosts. And we said, hey, that's kind of what Akachi does. So there's been like a million movies on this. It's like Pokemon where they made like a million of them. But uh, we we picked Yokai Watch the movie because it's exactly what Akachi is all about. So <laughs> Dane was uh, in full agreement with this too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, look, you can't this is, see, but I'm shaking my head. Uh, listening. This this whole thing turned out to be a lot harder than we thought for a lot of the, these investigators. Uh, I feel pretty stupid now for having suggested it. But uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? We're in this far. We're not going to quit now. Uh, Yokai Watch the movie. Dan's a huge proponent of of uh, ghost capitalism. Uh, if if there's if there's two things in life that I absolutely love, it's anime and capitalism. So yeah, so I'm I'm all, I'm all about this. With that in mind, though, we should move on to the next investigator. All right. So the next investigator is Father Matteo, the priest. Uh, he's got a four willpower and a three and two and his other stats. Uh, his main feature is that once per game. When somebody draws an autofail, he can turn it into an Elder Sign. And then his Elder Sign effect himself is also very powerful. Uh, one of the most powerful ones there is. It lets him get a card or a resource or get an extra action. His deck building is Mystic Cards, Blessed Cards 0-3, to and Neutrals. His signature is a book that will seal the Elder Sign, boosting his willpower while it's sealed. And then he can choose to draw the Elder Sign instead of revealing a Chaos Token. And then his weakness is uh, Serpents of Yig, snakes that are mad at him. They also seal the Elder Sign uh, until they are killed. Yeah, he's, uh, Father Mateo is interesting. I think he's one that's kind of harder to figure out how to deck build around. Speaking of deck building, he also gets five bonus experience at the beginning of when you're deck building with him. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about him, right? Uh, that's true. I always forget about that, uh, even if I'm reading it off the card right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's like the big reason to play Duff Father Mateo. To me, that's really funny because that's like, that's, that's weird, right? Like, why do they just give him like a handicap of like five XP, <laughs> you know? Well, it's so that you can uh, buy the card that lets him automatically draw an Elder Side, basically. <laughs> I actually remember the name of because it's like a card you always get for him. Um, New Catastrophe? 
Seal of the Elder Sign? No. Can he get you Catastrophe? Oh, he can. Ooh. Yeah, he can, because it's blessed. He can get a lot of interesting things with his card pool. So, talking about his strengths. He's got five bonus experience that he can use when, when, like at the beginning of deck building. And that's So, it. you can include a lot of stuff that, that normal investigators wouldn't be able to take. You could get your board level twos out of the way first, although you probably want to use that experience later. You can get something powerful to start in your deck, like Seal of the Seventh Sign. Or, like we mentioned briefly, you catastrophe, fortune or fate, things like that, that, that kind of boost y- your chances at survival early on in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, as, as far as strengths go, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't really think there's a whole lot to talk about with, with Mateo. Like, the, the 5 XP is cool, and it gives you kind of a head start. Apart from that, like, I, I don't think he's super good. Am, am, I, am I wrong? Like, am I being a jerk? I think he's definitely considered one of the weaker mystics. I feel like I haven't actually played him that much now that I think about it. I guess I should, I'll put it on my list of things to try again. I, I thought you did play him at one point, Ben. I played him in like. In Bloodspold and Salem. Okay. And immediately died. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. I played him in, uh, I think, Egypt or something for Arkham Invocation or something was the last time I played him. I haven't done a full campaign with him yet, so that guess I'll, that next next campaign, that's what I'll do, I guess. Good good thing, Dan. I think it's, I, I mean, I think he does, he has basically one of the strongest Elder Sign abilities in the game, which is cool, and he has some ways to try to draw the Elder Sign more, but that just doesn't really add up. Like, if if he had, if he just had five will, like the other Mystics, I think that would be interesting, because then it would be like, you're picking him for his stats, and he has this kind of like nice little bonus thing going on. He but... does the five will when he plays the Codex of Ages and seals the Elder Sign. <laughs> yeah, he has five will, and there's one less good token in the bag for everybody until you until you unseal it, right? So I think that if we're really legitimately talking about Father Mateo's strengths again, so it's the five the five additional experience is huge. Also, his ability to cancel an auto fail is a very big boon for a lot of different investigators who maybe want to succeed by two or also have really good elder sign abilities even though it is once per game there are a lot of tests where if you're playing with a lot of good investigators who are generally able to succeed by a lot by by a birth of pretty much anything except for the auto fail he can be that that one you know ace in the hole where if you're you know failing at a really crucial test just by the auto fail he can kind of erase that from happening I don't know. I almost consider that a weirdly a weakness because I'm someone that, like if I play a video game, I just hoard all of my potions and consumables <laughs> until after I beat the final boss, and then like, oh, I didn't use it. So yeah, like, <laughs> so I think that's some of the strategy. It's tricky. Like, it's, yeah, it's tricky to figure out like when to use that ability because I feel like if you use it the wrong time, then it's like wasted, and it's like, oh. I think conversely, I don't think that. I mean, I think his weakness is that he kind of makes everyone worse until he uses up the Codex of Ages. Because he hides the Elder Sign for everybody. Like, yeah. But, but in, in terms of, like, weaknesses for him in particular, I mean, just four will instead of five is, like, the only really it's, big thing. It's really big. Yeah. It's really big. What about, uh? so in terms of, like, roles he can play, you guys mentioned maybe trying to play, like, ceiling stuff with him, like, play a lot of ceiling cards. Yeah, he came out in Frown Age, which was when the seal mechanic was introduced and maybe the only time the seal mechanic is on cards from that cycle i don't remember i don't think it's been on cards since that cycle so i guess the idea is to encourage him to instead of maybe focus on spells he could focus on sealing stuff using his bonus experience to get some of the better sealing cards maybe and just because his asset and his weakness both seal stuff although they sealed a good token so yeah <laughs> but apart from that like you can still play the kind of standard like hybrid mystic deck where you play like shriveling and like six sense right of seeking like you you can still do that so in that sense he, he can fulfill the same role as the other mystics we talked about just like maybe not as well yeah i mean he has access to some blessed cards which are often like kind of like powerful like support cards uh you could catastrophe as mentioned or fortune or fate are both kind of strong so maybe he could try to do a supportish build i think we're not usually big proponents of that but he, he can get like custom ammunition to like buff up his fighter yeah i think that he's kind of perfectly fine doing like doing some like cluing and also leaning into that a little bit to help benefit his team by like sealing some things and using those powerful bless cards. So maybe that's probably more the the route that somebody might want yeah, to take. And if you can figure out a way to like get auto fails more often <laughs> or elder sides more often so you can benefit from his ability, that's definitely it's definitely really strong. It's maybe not as reliable as you'd hope. So we already kind of talked about cards he likes. So do we have a movie for him? We picked a classic. Uh Dane, do you wanna do you wanna take this one? Yeah, so what's the movie with a priest in it, uh, Dan? Uh, Spotlight? 
Uh, no. Well, yes, but <laughs> but not the one that we picked. We picked the movie with the priest in it, not just a movie with a priest in it. We picked the movie, The Exorcist, which is an all-time classic. If you don't like horror movies, then still watch it because you're losing out on a very valuable part of life. <laughs> also, this is a horror game. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think at the time it came out, it was like the highest grossing R-rated movie ever or something, I, I think. And it, it only finally got beaten by that like, you know, a decade later or something. But yeah, huge, huge hit, really influential movie, really good. I think pr- most people have probably seen it, but if you haven't, it's not too late. Check it out. Yeah. I think that this, apart from his lore, he does, it, you know, there's nothing about snakes in this movie whatsoever, <laughs> but we would definitely recommend to go see it. Exorcist is about like getting rid of demons or something, right? We don't know they're not snake demons, do we? There you go. They they could be, you know. (laughs) The truth is out there. (laughs) Speaking of the truth that's out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on to the next investigator. So the next investigator is Diana Stanley, the redeemed cultist, who has the strongest capacity for base will in the game. However, she starts at a one will, and she has a mechanic where when there's a card that you own that cancels or ignores a card effect or a game effect, you can tuck a card under her. Each of those cards represents a will for her, so you can have max five behind her. So eventually she can get up to having six base will on her own. And every time she does that, she draws a card and gains a resource. To compensate for this, she has three in every other stat, and her deck size is really huge. <laughs> so her deck size <laughs> is 35 as opposed to the regular 30. Um, and she has mystic cards level 0 to 5, guardian cards level 0 to 2, which is very important. And we'll talk about that soon. And normal neutral cards. She also has two different unique cards, and then her weakness card is Terrible Secret, which interacts with her cards that are under her. So for each card beneath her, you must either discard that card or take a horror, and it can't cancel it. But as far as her unique cards go, she has a Twilight Blade, so it's a weapon that takes up a hand slot that lets her fight with her will instead of her combat, and she can actually use it to commit events and skills beneath her as if they were in your hand, or play them. Her other unique card is called Dark Insight. It's an event that is basically a ward of protection. So when an investigator at your location draws an encounter card or weakness, you can cancel all that card's effects and shuffle it back into the deck, rather than canceling it outright. You just kind of throw it back in the deck and maybe somebody else draws it right after you. Or maybe they don't. It's a little bit better than a ward because it does cancel weakness. Or it delays it, I guess. That's true, that's true. So the important part of this, though, is that as an additional part of her setup, she gets to actually put this card in her opening hand. So it's a way to kickstart her engine to start, you know, getting money, drawing drawing more cards, and things like that. Really good design decision, I think, because it's <laughs> really hard to start with a lot of cancel effects immediately. So Diana's strengths. I played Diana very recently. I think when she came out, we were a little speculative on, on how she would do, just based off of the fact that we're in a cycle that tests will to the utmost extent of any cycle that has previously. And she starts at one. <laughs> as <laughs> as all of her um, mystic counterparts start at at least four. So what's going on with Diana? Uh, she gets guardian cards too, which are a huge boon for her. Canceling cards is an extremely, extremely powerful effect that should not be underestimated. Word of protection being the primary card in the corner. Yeah, so let's see. So, so strengths for Diana... I think, yeah, having guardian cards is cool. That's something that no other mystic has. And, you know, eventually being able to have a stat line that's like 6-3-3-3 is pretty nice. And then, yeah, having having like an extra card that she starts with, which is kind of like an extra ward, it's not quite as good, because if you like Dark Insight and Ancient Evils, it just goes back in the deck, someone else is going to draw it. But in some cases, it, it's almost as good as a ward, or as, as good as a ward. So those are all pretty cool. Are there any other any other strengths for Diana that we should mention? I mean, she, uh, up until her release, and even after her release, there's always been like cards that like cancel stuff, or ignore things, or whatever. Um, and there was like, ah, oh, I'll put a couple of these in my deck to help out a little bit of time. But she wants to lean a lot harder into that. And it is in a, it's in a way that helps the team to cancel stuff, but it's not like detrimental to her because it also helps her. Uh, usually it's like, oh, I have to pay money to cancel something. But here it's like, oh, I played a card, but then I replace the card immediately because I tuck it, it boosts my willpower, and I get a money back. 
Yeah, like, she kind of has that, like, draw engine of, because she gets a card and a resource every time she plays one, so there's a lot of zero-cost fast cards that do that, that can basically just, like, cycle themselves and give her a resource, so I guess that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's really powerful. What I wanted to get at, though, so, like, yeah, her weakness, having a bigger or having a bigger deck is bad, but the fact that she gets free draws off of cancels kind of cancels it out. She also starts with a card in hand, so it's kind of like she only has, like, four extra cards in her deck. That is true, but that is true. The main weakness that I think of for Diana, though, is just that, or flaw, if you give me a choice between an investigator that can get up to six will, but starts with one will, and an investigator that just always has five will, it is, I think it's a lot better to just have five will all the time, right? Because, like, we've already been talking about how mystics take a while to get started, Diana even more so than others, I think, right? Yeah, so I think that Diana takes a while to get started in a different way. Canceling effects, again, is, like, probably the strongest effect in the game. Well... Canceling encounter cards, uh, canceling attacks from things, and her two classes lend heavily to her being able to do that. I think that from playing Diana, two biggest weaknesses. Starting out at one will is definitely horrible. Yeah. And it takes a little while to get there. But you don't necessarily have to, now that there's a a lot of really, really strong cards that you don't necessarily have to prepare with like Spectral Razor and uh, Read the Signs, things that you can just kind of play on the go, that also lend her relatively strong stats, like uh, her intellect and her strength, respectively, to those tests. It kind of helps her bridge the gap there. So just starting off at one will, she can't use any of the any of the spells that a normal mystic with four or five will would be able to right off the bat. But she builds into it until to the point where she's actually stronger than regular mystics. The other weakness, however, is that once she has five cards tucked under her, if you haven't found her blade yet, she doesn't do anything else. You can't like you you the engine suddenly stops. You're at your peak power there, and until you find your blade or you get an elder sign to draw one of those uh, cards. You just kind of stop, mute the engine. And that's mostly the way that Diana kind of sifts through her cards, gets resources, and, and you know, replenishes herself. And, and let me follow up on one thing you said, Dane. So you mentioned that canceling things is a really powerful effect, and that is true. But I think it's an effect where there's only so many good canceling cards in the game, right? Like, obviously, Warder Protection is great. Deny Existence is pretty decent. There's other cards that are good. When I see you guys play Diana decks... You play like every possible cancel card. And I understand the reason for that. It's because you have to get her will up. You have to get her engine running. But like, if you're playing like a dark prophecy and canceling stuff off of that, that's, you're no longer, you can no longer really say like, oh, Diana's powerful because she cancels stuff and that's powerful. Like, canceling stuff sometimes, canceling really bad stuff efficiently is good. Playing dark prophecy is like not good, right? I guess it depends. Uh, Dark Prophecy allows for her to, to pick, you know, a specific token that might, not fail her you know if she's attacking something or whatever but i think that that's where the guardian cards come in handy because there are some really powerful cancel effects in guardian whereas in the other classes there aren't these are the two classes probably with the most cancel things so i feel like for that reason the more cards that come out the more strong cancel effects that come out the better diana just gets so i feel like since diana cares so much about this and she has an engine based off of that she'll only get better but that being said, her role, I feel like she definitely fits into a hybrid. Once she hits her six will or five will, or, or once you get up to, you know, normal mystic stats, she can do whatever she wants. You've probably drawn enough cards to find your, your components that you'll be using eventually. And you have a lot of events that help you, you know, resolve a lot of getting clues and doing damage. So I think that she's a really good hybrid uh, eventually. Yeah. Most of the mystics have almost the same kind of what we would say about like what role they can play, so it's not super interesting. But yeah, I think I think Diana fits in that. Um, has anybody tried Diana solo? No, I tried her solo. I imagine she'd be good in solo though, because she has the three the three baseline and other stats, which is like kind of what you want to be. You want to be kind of a little bit good at everything in solo. Yeah, um, and because she doesn't really rely on those assets as much, I think she can be a little bit less dependent on playing stuff. Yeah, starting out with a dark insight too is. I was going to mention her like trying to lean more into guardian. Um, like she can ignore like trying to stack a willpower, and instead just use the cancel effects to draw as a draw engine, and she can like lean into a guardian with combat effects. And I don't know. I think that's like kind of a neat way to play her. Yeah, 
So favorite cards we've discussed somewhat, but uh, cancel cards basically are, yeah. are the number one thing for this, right? I mean, Matt, Doom- Matt Newman literally said that Diana Existence was made for Diana. That is her bread and butter card. Other things I'd, I've noticed that with Return to Path Carcosa, I believe it was, I've had worse level two came out, which is actually extremely potent for her. Uh, it's a way for her to get a couple resources or, or three resources if if you're putting it behind her and prevent some horrible thing from happening from having bad will at the beginning. So. She's got a lot of versatility in terms of, of in terms of the things that can cancel for her. And even cards that I think are basically bad on other characters, like Dark Prophecy, can be alright for her, because she gets a lot more benefit out of the cancel effect. Yeah, I agree. Eldritch Inspiration, even, if she's playing assets, you can use it to cancel like the bad stuff on Rite of Seeking. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it it adds basically, like, it cycles and it gives you a resource to them, and then once you're at your will limit, they do basically nothing, right? But, you know, it's you're right. Better for her than for any other investigator. You're usually not at her will limit, like, uh, the whole whole game, because eventually you'll draw her weakness. It takes a while to get there, for sure. Well, you'll get her dagger out, and then you can start tra- committing those cards to tests or playing them again. Yeah. If you're hanging at six willpower the whole game, then you're either unlucky or you just... It's probably more unlucky that you haven't drawn Terrible Secret or you uh, <laughs> your your dagger got discarded or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. But even, like, the basic stuff, like dodge and stuff, is good. Uh, what did we pick for Diana's movie? We picked Suspiria, the perfect Dario Argento cheesy horror movie that's absolutely beautiful to watch. So it's a movie about a uh, young girl who goes off to a dance academy in Europe, and there she finds, uh, well, some spooky shit happens. Uh, <laughs> and she eventually finds her, her way into the clutches of some not-so-benevolent dance instructors who may or may not be witches. Other than that, though, I think that it's just a very tastefully done... I mean, Argento did a whole series of wonderful films uh, in a row and then kind of fell off (laughs) in the 90s, which we're not going to talk about today. But I think as far as her being a young, spry girl who kind of goes into a situation and realizes that she's in a... not an environment that she thought, and there's a whole bunch of cult and witch weirdness going on. That's kind of where I thought Diana would be. And so this is the this is the original Argento seventy seven Suspiria that you're talking about, not the recent uh, kind of remake homage movie that came out, right? Correct. Although they both w- could apply, uh, the the recent one is also great too. But I would definitely recommend seeing the first one, the the seventy seven Argento film first. All right. Uh, what is our next mystic? Uh, so our next mystic is Marie Lambeau. Technically the. The first mystic, I think, uh, but also <laughs> technically, I, God, she did that. She came out as a promo originally with the Investigators Arkham book, which might have come out before the core set. I don't remember. You you definitely had to pre-order it before the core set was available. <laughs> you did. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure if people actually got it before the core set. I think there are like five people living on this planet that have that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it's around. And if you are, if you do have that, and you're listening to this podcast, uh, get in touch. I want to buy your Azathoth playmat. <laughs> Very helpful, Dan. All right, so she has a uh, four will and four intellect, uh, and one combat, three agility. Her ability is if there's one or more doom on a card that she controls, she gets an extra action uh, that can be used to play a spell or activate a spell. Her deck building is uh, spells zero to five, uh, mystic cards zero to three, neutral cards, occult cards level zero, and then up to five other level zero seeker or survivor cards. Yeah, she's got a little bit, little bit complex deck building <laughs> options. Don't play her first, kids. Yeah, yeah, she has, she has like kind of like Finn's deck building ish kind of right. It's similar, yeah, similar. Um, not exactly. She has, but... she has like a trait and not max of her color, but yeah. Anyway, her her special a signature card um, is mystifying song. She can play it when the agenda would advance, and it prevents the agenda from advancing for that phase, and then it removes itself from game. And then her weakness is. Baron Semedi, Lord of the Cemetery. He takes up an ally slot, and he can't leave play unless he has three Doom on him, but he's got a free trigger to exhaust himself to put a Doom uh, for you, to let you put a Doom on him. Uh, and he makes uh, investigators at his location take an extra damage every time they take damage, which is not great. I didn't realize you took up your ally slot. Yeah, he's awful. He's a really oh bad Oh my weakness. god! That's like kind of what's really bad about him, honestly. Wow. I mean, you, you can sort of mitigate it with charisma, but like... Because it was kind of required for her to be able to mitigate that. <laughs> Fair point. Fair yeah. point. 
because he'll otherwise he'll kick out her very good friend uh, mr david renfield so so strength can't have that the fact that she can play the aforementioned dan's very good friend david renfield (laughs) yeah he's a he's 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 quite a gentleman (laughs) so her her gimmick leans into a mystic the mystic thing of manipulating doom so there's a couple cards that benefit from having more doom in play or as a cost to like use them you get doom in play like uh, arcane initiate is a very basic one uh, as well as David Renfield, who you get money based on how much Doom is on him, uh, as well as like willpower boost. So she leans into manipulating that, and that's her that's her thing, which is a very dangerous <laughs> uh, thing to deal with because if you if you do that poorly, you might accidentally cost your team like five turns, <laughs> which is really bad. But the the payoff for that is really good. Like getting an extra action to use spells. You know, if you're a mystic, you probably want to use spells like shriveling and right of seeking a lot or six cents. So, like, that's a pretty, you know, it'd be almost like having a Leo DeLuca or something if you can reliably get it. The trick is, as Ben said, it's a little bit risky to have a Doom available. Like, you know, as long as you're paying attention to it and managing it, you can probably avoid having it wreck everything. But then what if you screw up and you just single-handedly lose your team, you know, multiple turns? Yeah. So I think her strengths are, I mean, four intellect and four will is, is extremely rare. Right, I think that four will lends itself to her being really resilient to a lot of encounter cards, and four intellect. If she wanted to dip into survivor and seeker cards because she does have that accessibility, she can kind of like go in that direction, and then she can kind of pick out her spells and and get going in the mystic direction. So she has some options there. Her unique card is really strong. Yeah, I mean that's pretty cool, right? Like it almost you know it's almost like a fate or fortune or fate kind of where it just like gets you an extra turn. So that's nice. Really big, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like for me, I think that the having four will and four intellect before like right of seeking and sixth sense came out, I think that would have been a pretty big strength. At this point, I'm not really sure it is, just because you don't really need to use your intellect very much as um, as a mystic most of the time. There are cases though with like spires of Carcosa and stuff where it might be nice. Yeah, I think that some other investigators suffer from that. Um, you know, like Akachi, where she has two intellect, and if you're just playing her solo or something, there's no way you're going to get a Spires or Kokosa off a, <laughs> off a location. Yeah. But yeah. Marie does have that accessibility. Um, she also, again, can dip into her off-class cards and things like that to do so. Yeah. Having another action, like you were saying, that's a super powerful effect. There are some ways that you can clear Doom off of cards, too, that they pretty much made, especially for her and that kind of strategy. Moonlight right? Ritual, right? Yeah, Sacrifice also is a way to uh, murder your good friend David Renfield to get some money or, or uh, cards, so. I mean, you can always use, for allies, you can use Forbidden Knowledge to get money and kill off an ally, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think her play is definitely very interesting in that, that you, like, spike up the Doom, but you gotta, like, make sure you can clear it off. Yeah. But, yeah, she does lean towards, I think she does lean a little bit towards investigating, uh, right off the bat, she can be decent at it, and as you said, she can get Seeker or Survivor cards to help boost the Investigate to be able to just reliably use Intellect if she wants. Weaknesses? Yeah, sh- she can't fight anything without spells. <laughs> <laughs> she can evade stuff, but not fight it. Oh, man. I think as discussed, just the fact that she's going to be kind of like riding the Doom train most of the time and kind of... <laughs> <laughs> risking screwing everything up that's a weakness and also her train. her weakness baron Samedi is pretty nasty you know? he's the so conductor a, of said doom train yeah for sure so that's i think that's also a flaw i would say right yeah absolutely it is a weakness so that is kind of neat that it like synergizes with her ability while it's out even though it is very bad to have it out it's still it's a carb <laughs> doom on it well and i like weaknesses like that and i think it, it's it's a little bit like dark memory in that way where it's like yeah it's, exactly. it's really bad but it also like oh there's some situations where you might kind of be happy to see it so that's kind of cool yeah, yeah. Her weakness is, is horrible, though. Oh, my God. There aren't a lot of weaknesses that affect everybody else in the game, right? Yeah. This is one of the few that actually... Well, only in her location, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Still. sometimes that's just the way. Yeah. And also builds up Doom. If if there's a scenario like Essex County Express that has a low Doom threshold, and you draw a Baron early, <laughs> you can't get rid of him. <laughs> yep. It's pretty, pretty without, bad. Without forcing yeah. the agenda advance. Because if, if the Doom on him makes the agenda advance, his Doom gets cleared too, and then you've just advanced the, <laughs> the agenda early, exactly. and he's still out. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be a huge disaster. For roles she can play, it's like, yeah, basically a hybrid, maybe a little bit more in the investigating direction. Not a whole lot interesting to say there, I think. Uh, probably not super great in solo. I don't know. What do you guys think? I would think the exact opposite. Really? I would think that because her deck building is so diverse, she's able to supplement, like, the ways that she might be bad in the game with just being able to hit the ground, start getting clues with her four intellect, 
And then, you know, she can even dodge things if she really wants to. Um, I think she's got a lot of potential to do to do that kind of stuff. If anybody's actually played her in solo, I'd love to hear how it went. I agree. Seeker and uh, Survivor gives her a couple extra options for solo, and having a, a base intellect of four means she can get off the ground running and getting clues fast before monsters pop out. Right, And then, right. yeah, she can evade them or have, like, a couple events in her deck to deal with enemies. Because remember, in solo, you don't get as many enemies compared to, like, what we usually do with a 3-4 player. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Favorite cards? So, I think we, we mentioned David Renfield, probably also Arcane Initiate. Basically, things that are going to let you have a Doom in a way that is hopefully kind of controllable. So, also cards like Moonlight Ritual that maybe let you quickly get rid of that Doom when you need to. Yeah. Any any other major cards I, I'm forgetting? Uh, Blood Pact. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there you go. It's another card. It's a permanent that you haven't played that you can immediately put a Doom on uh, at any time because it's a free trigger. And but you do need that, that does force you to put Moonlit Ritual in your deck to clear off the Blood Pact. But <laughs> I don't think I used even think about using Blood Pact in any other investigator. Uh, I know, I know. Well, we we had fun with it in our All Mystic run. Uh, yeah, that was pretty fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> we just got it so that on the last turn we could pump as much Doom into it as <laughs> yeah, possible. Yeah. That was very fun. I think we had like sixteen Doom across four Blood Packs or something. Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, I feel like that's an exception though, where we were we were doing a fun gimmick thing rather than like a general recommendation. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to see a very a specific primer on Marie. Yeah, that could be cool for a movie for her. So this one was also kind of tough. We found we we did the thing again where you picked a movie that none of us has actually seen, but it sounded promising. There's a movie called New Orleans from 1947, which is a movie about jazz musicians set in New Orleans. Um, and it has a bunch of famous jazz musicians in it, like um, Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday. So it seemed like maybe kind of like a thematic or like uh, kind of fit for like her kind of general vibe um we couldn't find a movie that was actually about like a jazz singer that does supernatural stuff yeah we, we tried to look at stuff about marie laveau who she's like kind of sort of based on or like yeah. that's her grandmother but apparently they never made a movie out of that kind of and legend Baron Simone so. was a, a enemy in like a bond movie i think live and let die yeah he's well he's he's kind of like a known he's like a folklore figure yeah kind of in, in new orleans i think so but, very spooky yeah, New Orleans, uh, 1947. That's that's our pick. None of us have seen it, but it sounds kind of fun. Maybe we'll check it out. Uh, and then on to our final mystic. Uh, what, what have we got for our final mystic? Ben, break out the rule book. So we got Luke Robinson, the dreamer. His ability is he, once per turn, he can play one event as if he was at a connecting location, which is a huge rules nightmare uh, for <laughs> People that like to obsess out the minutiae of the rules, which I, I do. Uh, anyway, his deck building is a Mystic 0-5, and then Seeker 0-2, and neutral cards. His signature card is the Gate Box, which starts with three charges on it, and he can exhaust it, send a charge to teleport to his Dream Gate, which is a bonded card that is its own little location that you can hang out at for one turn. And then his weakness is Detached from Reality. Uh, it sends him to his... Dreamgate to its uh, spooky, pointless reality side where he sits by himself, sad that he's trapped in a another dream dimension that's not real, and he has to investigate it uh, in order to leave or take two more. I think in both cases, the Dreamgate is connected to other all other revealed locations in play, which gives him very high mobility to move around the board. Yeah, so his strengths are... Um, he can do a bunch of crazy stuff with cards because he can play stuff at connecting <laughs> locations. Yes, that's that's his strength. The things he can do with cards are crazy. <laughs> I mean, he can break the the game a lot, and I, well, not really break it, but he can just do a bunch of wacky stuff. Like he because he can, he's so mobile. Dreamgate, uh, he can like teleport to Dreamgate and then like storm of spirits to the location of a bunch of enemies that aren't near him, or he can he can use shortcut to move himself to locations for free by playing the shortcut at an adjacent location. He can play like spell events to like get clues off of adjacent locations, so he can avoid enemies and stuff. Yeah, well, not quite avoid enemies. The enemies are considered engaged with him, but like if you if you just look at his stat line and kind of it's not really any special. It's basically gym. What makes him powerful is that in certain situations he can kind of like alter the geometry of how scenarios work and basically just make certain scenarios a lot easier, either for himself or kind of for everyone. Like that's that can be really big depending on the scenario. His gatebox is one of the most ridiculously broken things in any game, I think. Like, once you allow somebody the the ability to remove yourself from any situation ever, <laughs> um, <laughs> you've, got, you've got a situation on your hands. Um, but he is, he, he is extremely good in that capacity. His seeker cards also lending a huge boost to 
you know, how well he can he can pick up clues, move around even. He's got access to Pathfinders later. Yeah, on the, on the topic of strengths, definitely being able to access seeker cards is, yeah. is very good. Huge. It's his mobility is so powerful as a strength, if, if we're not being clear. <laughs> being able yeah. to move around for free, basically, a lot uh, is so strong. Exactly. On on the other hand, for weaknesses, he is, I think he's the only mystic that actually has five health, which is pretty scary. It's true. That really is just, a, like, I feel a lot safer with six health than five, weirdly. I'm not really sure why. Maybe that's wrong. But, like, th- that's just a little bit a little bit frightening. And then his weakness is kind of annoying, right? Nah, it's like, it's annoying if you draw it. Okay. I don't think it's that bad, though. Like, it's like, um, I can play cards this turn and hang out. Enemies can't engage you while you're in the dream zone, uh, so you're safe from enemies if you drew it during upkeep or whatever. That's a good point. And if you can't get, if you can't investigate the clue, then you just take two horror. It's like, but he has nine, he has nine base sanity and probably soak from various mystic cards, so it's like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, really, in terms of strength and weaknesses, I think if you choose to play Luke instead of, like, Agnes or Akachi, it's kind of like the choice you're making is you're giving up some sort of, like, raw power, and in exchange you're getting this, like, mobility-bending power, which in some scenarios isn't going to do very much, and in others is going to be very powerful. So you're, you're kind of, like, choosing, like, a more uh, unconventional route to go in with your deck. Yeah, exactly. So I think that for rolls, I would imagine that he gears far more towards Seeking, Mostly because of the fact that he has Seeker cards level 0 to 2. That is so huge for him to be able to access. Um, he could even buff his his uh, intellect with, like, St. Hubert's Key. And, um, you know, he can start picking up clues with intellect and then move into Will if he needs to. Or he could just pick up things with Will. and, and uh, Yeah. He could even use things that, that normally mystics wouldn't necessarily get big use of, like um, Enraptured. And other cards that put secrets back on his gatebox. Always really good to get more more charges on gatebox, so. Yeah, I think I have played and raptured him to get the extra charges, because uh, it's just so powerful. Uh, I usually use up the whole gatebox in a game. It usually feels like every time, even if it wasn't like the most optimal, it's like, oh yeah, that was great. It was useful. Yeah, <laughs> it's no matter what, if he gets an enemy on him, he can just jump into his dream world and forget about it. Like, <laughs> it does not matter whatsoever. Yeah, I think I think like bottom line, most of these mystics we've said they're roughly a hybrid. They can maybe lean in one of the two directions a little bit more heavily. And yeah, for for Luke, it's a little bit maybe more in the investigating direction. But he can also fight in some pretty clever ways using his ability. Yeah. So favorite cards? I think like events. I mean, that's kind of obvious. But so I'm not saying you wouldn't play shriveling, but you'd maybe lean a little bit more in the direction of like spectral razor and storm of spirits. It's not like you wouldn't play Sixth Sense, but maybe you'd lean a little bit in the direction of something like um, Read the Signs or Read the Bones or whatever it is. Because he can kind of take advantage of his ability to play them remotely are definitely good for him. I mentioned Shortcut already, but uh, Open Gate is very great in him because yeah. he can like place a gate, teleport to his gate box, place another gate on the opposite side of the map, and then everybody can move across the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's very strong in scenarios you have to backtrack. A lot of cards like Shortcut and Crack the Case that are normally pretty good, but just become better if you can play them at an adjacent location. Oh, yeah. He can even do some goofy stuff with um, that card that lets him like activate a spell that he controls or, or one from hand. I forget the name of it. Knowledge is Power? Yeah, Knowledge is Power. So Because he, he can use that to like use Shriveling on an adjacent location. <laughs> or, or, or whatever like he can make it so he can use his assets on adjacent locations too which is, is a pretty neat effect oh lord uh, and there's tons of combinations with him with his events that just like even like barricade or something you can do some silly stuff with where you like he moves he puts barricade in the location behind him hunters can no longer follow him if it's like at a gauntlet choke point or something i think we forgot his main weakness which is that everybody who plays luke has to pay attention to the faq list that comes out every single <laughs> the fact that there's like a multi-page there's like a multi-page <laughs> errata faq thing for him that's like the real it weakness for it luke. doesn't Super even fun investigator, though. every scenario yeah. but he is great uh, he's very fun to play he feels like he's breaking the game but he isn't actually but it feels like you are <laughs> when you're playing him so yeah pretty cool uh you guys had a do you have a movie for him yeah so uh we picked out a movie called paprika which is a movie by a Japanese animator called uh, Satoshi Kon. Not called, but that's his name. Perky is about a, a woman who works at an organization who develops a tool that, that allows you to see people's dreams. And she kind of jumps into it and her all, she can jump into people's dreams and affect them in different ways. Um, and her name as an alter ego in the dream world is Paprika. So it's a really cool movie that is really short. Uh, it's like, it's, I think it's literally 90 minutes. But it's it's very fun, and I feel like Luke, she embodies the the playfulness of of Luke's 
you know, jumping in, jumping in and out of dreams and being able to do whatever you want in, in a very good way. But also the disenchantment that comes with, with Luke from his weakness and everything. Even, uh, yeah, I mean, even, even I, uh, despite my earlier, uh, comments about anime, uh, Satoshi Kon's pretty cool. This is a really good movie. Uh, we, we could have picked Inception, but we already talked about Inception way too much. So we picked, uh, we picked, <laughs> we picked a slightly, the, one of the other dream movies. The movie that influenced Inception. Yeah, probably at least a little bit. Among other yeah. things. Um, but yeah, definitely a really good movie. Definitely check it out. So that's it for the Mystics that are released so far. Uh, yeah, Mystics, Mystics are cool. Uh, if you, if I think it's a class that some people try to stay away from, uh, give it a try. Mystics are cool. I know that some people don't like Mystics because they have a bad experience with somebody who plays with a lot of Doom, and then they make them fail the game really easily. So take your time with Mystics. Explore them. Each one is different. Some of them can kind of do the same thing, or they can go in wildly different directions like Luke and like Diana. So if uh, if you really want to play like full-on Doom Lord David Renfield Marie, um, <laughs> just uh, let Ben know that you want to play with him on Tabletop Simulator. He still hasn't gotten the ending on Carcosa, where if you like fail enough scenarios, <laughs> you, there's like a special ending that you can only get if you fail a lot. So, you know, maybe, maybe you could kind yeah, of like help true. Ben check off that bucket list goal of his... <laughs> Just by just by always having like a hundred doom on your characters, and just each scenario ends in like ten minutes. I think you have to succeed on a couple of them. listeners. Help Ben out. <laughs> yeah. PM him. Help Ben fail disastrously at, at, at Carcosa. He'll be very grateful. Oh boy. So, listeners, how do you feel about the Mystics of Arkham? Are there any cool decks that we missed, or any way that you feel that that you might be controversial to how we talked about them? Any movies you feel might be more appropriate for these investigators? Send us your thoughts on Facebook, Reddit, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay well, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. You're talking about Dan. We clearly nailed all of those movies perfectly. So I don't know how anybody <laughs> could go with something, especially Yokai Watch. I, I just, <laughs> I, I'm really, I think it's, I think it's really, it's really good that we picked two really good, equally important animes. <laughs> Nope. Uh, hey, you really added yourself as a weeb, Dane, by picking. Yeah, no, we, picking look, these Dane, two it's okay. We know that you love, uh, you, you love weeb shit, so we picked two weeb movies for you. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. You know, let, I'm ending let my recording. Weeb, <laughs> let that weeb flag fry. Let's <laughs> right. let's all get high and watch Monkey Bone. That's the real takeaway for this. Hey. That's, that's, that's what I really want to do. <laughs> that I can get behind. Put yeah no put Monkey Bone on Netflix. Like everyone, sign a change.org <laughs> petition for that. That's that's what we really need. Yeah, jeez.